Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's start the, the deal. Yeah, let's Welcome start the deal. Talk. Let's do it. Oh, ah! sorry. <laughs> the delay. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. I'm Katie John, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll discuss water sustainability goals driven by diverse industries, including jeans manufacturers, and we'll also unpack Chicago's new equity-focused lead service line replacement program and the broader impacts it brings to the area. Finally, our interview this month is with Ralph Exton. He's Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer for Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. I spoke with him about the acceleration and adoption of digital technologies in 2020 and the impact that that trend could have on 2021 and beyond. But before we go into that, I wanted to pass it off to Lauren. She has a special little announcement about next month's podcast episodes. Thank you, Bob. So we have some very special news to share with our listeners. We wanted to let you all know about a special series that we are very excited to bring you next month. We will bring you our regular October episode early at the start of the month, and then each subsequent Friday, we will release a special episode in conjunction with the Valley of Water campaign, a U.S. Water Alliance campaign, and Imagine a Day Without Water, which is October 21st. This special series is going to focus on sharing diverse voices and perspectives on solving water access, equity, and affordability issues, starting with the role of One Water before digging into the utility perspective, a community group perspective, and finally a perspective from the ground floor on water access. The first episodes of the series will drop October 9th, and we cannot wait to share these conversations with you. The Talking Underwater hosts, Bob, Katie, and myself, are absolutely committed to elevating conversations surrounding issues of water access, equity, and affordability, and the role of One Water in driving that change. So we look forward to sharing that with you, and we'll give you more information next month, but there's a little teaser. And now to today's episode. Katie, you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Lauren. Um, so starting off on a positive note here, Wrangler, a jeans and apparel company, announced plans to half its water usage by 2030. The goal specifically focuses on fiber production, fabric construction, and product finishing phases of the denim supply chain, which leads to more than 95% of total water used for jeans production. To meet this lofty goal, the company will complete a comprehensive water balance study to investigate water consumption across the production phases while evaluating new technologies for sustainability. Um, and this demonstrates the relationship between data analytics, which is the subject of this month's episode, and long-term sustainable solutions. There can be no lasting change without analysis along the way. So I just wanted to get some thoughts from Lauren and Bob. Okay. I just had a quick follow-up I wanted to uh, say on this news item because it reminded me of something we talked about way back in, gosh, the genesis of the podcast, really. Back in the early days of Talking Underwater, we talked about watercalculator.org, which had a, a simple water calculator test that all of the podcast hosts took and even some other folks at our broader company. This little test highlights the larger scale impact of water use and substance scarcity concerns. And I remember that at the time it was actually really eye-opening for me um, in terms of bringing awareness to the vast value of water across all the sectors, impacting everything 
along the production from clothing manufacturing to food production, and then, of course, obviously our drinking water consumption. But this news item really just highlighted for me uh, the broad reach of our water use and how it is so farther reaching than one initially realizes. Uh, Katie, I think you actually took the water test today. Sparks your curiosity a bit? Yeah, I did. I think I worked here when you guys did it um, last year, whenever you took it. So I did take it today, and my shopping habits are easily the most, have the most gallons to them, which is shocking. But I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about is that their shopping habits do take up a lot of gallons per day. So I think that this goal by Wrangler is awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bob, did you have a well, follow-up? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to mention, so not so much on the water calculator part, but I had an interview last week with a beer producer in California, and they he was telling me about their entire system, how they're using their wastewater and what their wastewater system is like and how small little changes here and there have allowed them to bring their uh, gal gallons per, of water per gallon per beer down to 3.25 gallons of water per one gallon of beer, which is, and that's like industry stand, like leading, like that's insane. That's mm -hmm. so good. Like even like, I think uh, Carlsberg brewing last week or, or last month, I read an article that they're trying to reach just 3.5 for their ratio, 3.5 to one. And the fact, so the fact that this smaller brewery in California is at 3.25 to one ratio is tremendous and incredible. And the guy is still trying to find ways to further that along. But um, I'm going to have an article on that entire brewing system and the wastewater treatment system of it in the next issue of industrial water and waste digest. So Definitely stay tuned to read more about that, kind of like the efforts they're taking in that regard. Very cool. I'm also certainly interested to see what Wrangler finds from some of their studies on this and how some of that could have some long-term implications for other manufacturers and other industries as well, as well as the folks that you spoke with last week, Bob. Yeah. I think that it's going to become more and more prevalent, especially in private industry, not only from a it's not only a, a, an aspect of like good optics and good PR, and but uh, but also being a good steward. Uh, it's also a part of like bottom line when you really think about it. If they can reuse more of their water, then they don't have to pay the city for as much water as before. They don't have to, you know. Th there's a lot involved in like the monetary aspect of that as well. So the more that they can reuse, the better it's going to be. So I think from a private industry perspective, you'll see a lot more. You t or a lot more companies working more and more toward this just from a bottom line perspective. That's interesting to me. I mean, obviously, from my sphere, I'm more focused on the micro level than some of those macro changes. So it's interesting for me to hear your guys' perspective on that as well. But um, segueing a little, Bob, you had some news closer to home for the podcast hosts, right? Yeah, so uh, we all live in the Chicagoland area. Uh, I think Katie's now living inside Chicago, but um, mm -hmm. we've been following some some updates and legislation relating to Chicago's drinking water for a while and have discussed it before on this podcast, but they recently launched a new equity-focused lead service line program. And according to the city, the program will offer two methods of replacement, including 
the equity-led service line replacement program for low-income residents, as well as the homeowner-initiated lead service line replacement program. So essentially, qualifying homeowners may be eligible to receive a free full lead service line replacement if the homeowner's home, uh, if the homeowner owns or resides in a home and their household income falls below 80% of the area median income. But they also have to show that they have a consistent lead concentration above or about 15 parts per billion. So continuing with a trend from previous news items on the role of data in sustainable change, the, Chicago, the city of Chicago has also commissioned a technical report to explore the full spectrum of funding and operational options for lead service line replacement. And um, while the new program still faces significant responsibility or places significant responsibility on the homeowner to spearhead lead service line replacement, the equity focus perspective is certainly promising. And I think that we're seeing other equity programs, not so much on the lead service line part, but across the country regarding drinking water in general. And I, I'm really curious what everyone, what you guys think on this um, in general, because this is specific to homeowners, but there's so many other areas like businesses and stuff that also probably deal with lead service line issues. So, uh, Wyatt, a couple quick follow-up thoughts on this. Obviously, the homeowner element is right up in my alley uh, with WQP, but one, ultra-ultra promising that they're continuing research efforts to identify potential new programs beyond just these two initial programs. So that's great to hear. Um, other follow-up I definitely wanted to note is that uh, while Chicago does have a lot of older lead service lines, uh, their, their state standards for lead regulation and monitoring for drinking water in schools are some nation-leading regulations. So a 2019 report by the Environment of American Research and Policy Center and the U.S. Perg Education Fund, which assigns uh, grades to different states for their policies addressing lead in drinking water, did assign Illinois a B in 2019, while a total of 22 other states received an F for their uh, quality of uh, monitoring and addressing lead issues in schools. So I did want to also point out that Chicago and Illinois in general has been leading the charge on some of these issues for quite a while. So I hope that it uh, reverberates through other states as well. Yeah, and in yeah. a similar way, this is necessarily drinking water related, but I recently did an interview with um, MWRD, who's partnering with a few oh. other organizations. Um, to green Chicago schools lots. So they're taking them and they're using, you know, permeable services and rainwater gardens and making them community spaces. So it just seems like Chicago's putting a big emphasis on drinking water and water quality and, you know, stormwater and stuff like that. So I think that this is interesting and it seems in line with their goals of improving water quality in the city. Yeah, I was going to mention too, one of the things that seems to be a at the core of solving this problem is understanding the inventory of lead service lines as well. And that's been a common goal for a couple of um, organizations and whatnot for a long time. So I'm wondering how much this self-reporting of the homeowners will aid in providing inventory numbers for that that could help us better understand the true volume of this issue, right? Just like how exactly, how many miles of pipe are have this issue how many inches of pipe have this issue is a big deal um, and that can help quantify numbers for that replacement program as well yeah I agree absolutely I mean regardless either way it's great to see something in the works 
and we'll keep tracking and reporting on it, especially since it's so close to home and dear to our our hearts on the podcast. So with that, I guess we can move on to the interview with Ralph Axton, the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer for Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. I talked to him a little bit about digital solutions for municipalities and industrial facilities. So here's our my interview with Ralph. So yeah, we have Ralph Axton, Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer for Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. Thank you so much for joining the call, Ralph. Happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so we're talking a lot about like kind of digital technologies, adoption of them. Um, especially this year, we've noticed what appears to be a major acceleration in the adoption of them, at least. Uh, smart systems, remote monitoring, all that stuff. Could you talk a little bit about what you have been seeing? Is there anything that you've noticed, particularly in 2020, when it comes to digital technology adoption for for things in the water industry? Sure. Great question. It's it's actually uh, near and dear to my heart, uh, quite frankly. Um, and digital, uh, all things digital right now, with everything we're going through in 2020, is obviously front and center uh, because of the COVID-19 situation, right? More organizations are relying on a remote workforce to maintain their own business continuity. So in turn, there's there's a greater demand for for digital tools and for remote monitoring, uh, even remote control, right? Um, and whether it's whether it's a, a water utility, a, a food and beverage manufacturer, or any other industry for that matter, these these organizations and, and facilities are are in need of digital solutions to maintain productivity and, and meet th- their own social distancing guidelines uh, that they've set forth. And what we've noticed, what we've seen, is you know plenty of examples of, you know, customers and utilities all over the world uh, accelerating the adoption and use of what we refer to as asset performance management or APM tools and platforms to supplement their their remote or in some cases even reduced workforces. Um, remote monitoring of, of key operating parameters makes it feel like the operator is on site even when they aren't. Uh, they can monitor things in a more efficient way, whether that means fewer or no physical walkthroughs at a site or by enabling, you know, improved information sharing among shifts where people aren't really seeing each other uh, in person. And, you know, with the right APM tool, all the data is in the, is in the same place and can be accessed anytime, anywhere and, and by anyone that has, you know, really uh, uh, been given the, you know, the user access rights to, to access the data. So it's a really, really a, uh, a convenient way to operate, certainly in the, in the conditions that we're seeing right now in, in 2020. Yeah, well, that, that was kind of my follow-up question is why you think this acceleration occurred. I think that kind of the obvious answer is coronavirus this year. Um, yeah. what, what other factors, what other drivers do you think are kind of like part of this, this acceleration towards this? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, particularly to discuss how this all, you know, occurred, because it's not, yes, it's, I think it's COVID related, but, you know, let's start with IoT or what I, what's referred to as the Internet of Things. And mm-hmm. IoT isn't just a buzzword. It, it, it's something, it, it allows for physical devices to connect to the Internet. So what I mean by that is it's really the integration of IT, sort of traditional information technology, and OT, operational technology. 
And this enables organizations to create a, a, a digital network of physical devices. So allows for greater visibility in operations, whether at a plant or individual asset level, like a, like a cooling tower, a boiler, or a DAF, or MBR. Um, and it simplifies and standardizes data collection and can enable things like remote control, remote services, and the things that we've been discussing. That, that's the starting point. Um, you know, the, the new ways of working during the current pandemic also opened the door into, into the trends we're seeing this year uh, for obvious reasons. While, while the IoT tools and technologies have been available for a while, uh, the pande pandemic has really given, you know, many uh, operations and utilities uh, and industries sort of that final push that they needed to not only adopt these digital technologies, but also really incorporated into their everyday ways of working. And so we're kind of we're kind of seeing that that shift from a push to a pull mentality as digital monitoring and, and reporting tools prove out their value. And, and and we're also sort of anticipating greater demand for remote services going forward. COVID-19 pandemic aside, remote services offer a number of benefits to uh, to the water industry, uh, you know, 24/7 monitoring capabilities, immediate alerts, you know, against specified operating parameters, um, remote control, like I mentioned earlier, and IoT provides a, a way to look at operations from a data science perspective uh, to find those opportunities to optimize resources, maximize uptime. Uh, prolong the life of critical utility applications, like I mentioned earlier, uh, cooling towers and high-pressure boilers, water purification systems, membrane bioreactors, and things like that. So, I think that you know, the, the if if we hadn't already had sort of an infrastructure of technologies available, the acceleration would not have occurred. So, it's really how the two have come together this year with, with the pandemic that has really accelerated things we were seeing it. Yeah. I think what an interesting point that you made there is the push versus the pull mentality. And I, I do feel like I saw there's a lot of push in the past probably two to three years, maybe even longer of, hey, these smart things exist. These smart things exist. You can use them. They operate really well. They optimize your systems really well. But it's not really until the past year and a half or so that people are like, ooh, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> It's exactly right. You know, and in some cases, you know, people can't move fast enough, whereas before it was like this long, slow trail to get there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. What What about the data side of this? So obviously this is, for a lot of utilities, they do have a lot of data. Oftentimes it's just kind of on paper in a box in a closet somewhere. But uh, in this in this environment, you can get a lot of this stuff in a digital uh, format that makes it a little bit easier to comb through, better to get some an analysis of that that data. What types of data would be relevant for municipal authorities versus, say, like an industrial user? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because data is really the key to uh, to a lot of this, right? And um, you know, if we go back and think, look, the notion of using remote services for water systems it, it's complex by its very nature because there are literally thousands of data points that, that can be collected from any given operation at all times. And this data requires really specific expertise and technical know-how to interpret and act upon, you know, what, what the data is telling you. Um, and, and that's why, you know, sort of consideration of, of IoT technology that offers 
you know, a wing to wing solution is imperative, you know, from, from data collection, to data transmission, to data storage, to data visualization, and ultimately analysis. So that you can, you know, you can take the, take some action. And in some cases that action is automated. Um, and it, but saying all that really requires, you know, true expertise, not only in the, in the hardware and software aspects, but also in, you know, sort of the water and treatment process applications as well. So it's, it's a combination of these technologies, you know, with a, with a solid history of industry expertise, I think is, is the key. And, and water utilities and industries alike, um, they both have critical water operations. Uh, so the, there's not that much difference in the data or the amount of data or the type of data that's collected. What's, what's key here is, you know, in both cases, they're looking to maximize resources and minimize spend. So, you know, from a data perspective, you know, some of the biggest areas of opportunity for them uh, to, to meet their goals uh, lies within the consumption of energy uh, uh, and the labor component. So IoT solutions offer the ability to, to monitor and compare data over time. That comes back to the data. Uh, and, and to also use advanced analytics to predict things like optimal membrane cleaning cycles or remaining useful life or uh, anticipate changes to your influent water quality based on seasonal trends. Uh, better manage demand for water and energy based on consumer patterns or even weather patterns. Uh, so all of these things and, and, uh, and, and all of the associated data around them have a, have a direct correlation to controlling energy costs and manpower costs and the like, which in turn contribute to the bottom line. Um, there's another interesting thing that's tied to data though. Uh, and that is, you know, sort of the emergence of, of edge computing. This is very interesting because speed and accuracy and data processing are crucial at times, depending on your, your operation, right? And an increasing number of IoT applications really require real-time data processing, not sort of, you know, collect it, store it, look at it, and then make some decisions, but more real-time. And so as an emerging complement to cloud computing, uh, analytics and decisions are now moving closer to the action, you know, where the data is actually being generated. Uh, and this is known as edge computing or edge analytics. So when, when data is instantaneously processed locally at, at the sensor level, decisions can be made much, much faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you to actually uh, elaborate on the edge computing thing, just for those that don't, don't know, but kind of already went through that. But um, how do you <laughs> how do you expect the, this trend will continue into 2021? Uh, we we see some really cool things already so far this year. I imagine that kind of the, the there's some I guess boundless limits to what we can experience next year. And where do you think that's going? Well, look, I, you know, for me, I think absolutely the trend's going to continue. And beyond the current pandemic, you know, these utilities and industries are looking to become more efficient and have more control over their operations, more visibility. And this is the key. Uh, they want to do so in a way that allows them to be better stewards of the environment, uh, which includes things like reducing the water footprint as well as energy usage and, and the associated costs. 
so if you think about it more longer term, you know, you know, IoT provides a way to look at their operations from a data science perspective and find those opportunities that I, I mentioned before. But I like to think of it in terms of, you know, both prediction and prescription, you know, where, you know, you can not only tell when something's going to happen, but how to fix it. Uh, and that's where the advanced analytics come in. Um, you know, predicting, you know, things like fouling and expected life span and increased energy and water consumption, what have you, those other performance related issues. But ultimately the goal with, with all of that, um, is to impact the bottom line as well as the environment, right? And that, that's why I think this is, this trend's going to continue because look, if you can, if you can reduce costs while also saving water and energy at the same time, that's where the, that's where the real win-win is here. And, and so, yes, I, you know, the, the trend will continue for sure because it's, it's really the convergence of, you know, some of the, some of the bigger goals that, uh, that these organizations have. Yeah, that actually just made me think of one other thing, which is kind of like how this ties in with workforce, workforce and whatnot. Like we're we're always talking about this retirement and legacy knowledge and stuff like that, and these types of systems create a little bit more of a robust network for you to train new employees. I would assume. Yeah, and I, I think it it helps to sort of transition into, you know, a uh, a, a a different kind of workforce as well, right? Um, yeah. Because you'll have a more savvy workforce going going forward, and uh, you know, rather than spending the time, you know, doing rounds and and putting you know numbers on on a on a piece of paper on a clipboard and then hanging it on a wall and what have you, you know, the the time and energy can be spent on on more valuable things like you know uh, you know ensuring you know the you know water quality or or uh, you know, making making changes to operating parameters, you know, before something becomes a, a problem. You know, spending their time doing, you know, much more uh, higher value work, and plus, you know, learning a new skill set and trade around, you know, sort of the, the sensor technologies and you know, communication protocols and things like that. You know, really elevates, you know, the you know, look, our our, you know, our our water professionals and, and, and uh, are truly, uh, you know, heroes when it comes to, you know, operating, <laughs> you know, on the front line, they really are. And this takes it to another level, right? Their, their value um, in the workforce becomes all that much more important as we, we start to utilize more and more of these, uh, uh, these tools. So I think you'll see an evolution and uh, an evolution uh, in a very positive manner for, uh, for the workforce as well. Yeah, just elevates them to another level. Well, thanks so much, Ralph. I, I, we really appreciate you taking the time, and um, we will uh, catch you on the next one. Absolutely. Happy to help. Really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation. So, Ralph, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate your insights. Uh, Lauren and Katie, I know that we didn't, I didn't really get to touch on the residential and stormwater sides of things with this in particular. I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of the direction you think that you could see things happening for stormwater and residential point of use, point of entry, all that too. Sure. Um, so this is something that I hope that we can cover more is seeing how technology will change um, with stormwater. But I do know that um, right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, it seems like stormwater is 
or on technology to get things done, especially when they couldn't be doing projects in person. So I think that the pandemic is only going to increase use of technology for stormwater and also kind of elevate the speed at which it's being used too. On the uh, drinking water and the clean water quality end, there's a couple different facets one could look at this issue from. The first, of course, is acceleration of remote technologies and remote business, uh, which is very, very important to some of the smaller business owners that uh, are part of WQP's audience ship. So that's an increase in virtual and digital sales, uh, sales presentations done virtually, new communication tools, and that's a huge impact that's going to be continuing on into the foreseeable future, I'm sure. And then the other aspect, of course, is for the homeowners on the drinking water end. We might be seeing an increase in technologies for remote monitoring of your drinking water or leak detection or contaminant concerns at home. Uh, so I think some of those trends we might continue to see, though they have been here initially already, uh, there will be an increased need for them, I imagine. I agree with, with all of those. I think it's very interesting how how much the coronavirus has really accelerated the adoption of these technologies. And I'm very curious to see how that will shape into 2021 and beyond, too. So. But, yeah, it's probably pretty similar across all three of the markets, those trends just like already having had existed and been pushing, but now kind of going into rapid fire, I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, that's something that Ralph actually mentioned, too, is how it was for a long time a push model where the solutions providers were pushing this information onto utilities and and whatnot, saying, hey, this stuff exists, it exists, it exists. And now finally, it's a poll mentality of we need it, we need it, we need it. Um, so you're seeing a shift in, in the marketplace in that regard, too. So that's highly interesting. And that's really where the acceleration has has mostly occurred, is that there's been a pull for that technology rather than a push for it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. Shall we get into a little bit of housekeeping and wrap up the episode then? Um, I did want to let readers know that uh, Water Quality Products currently has our State of the Industry survey out. We're looking for feedback from audience members on how 2020 has been looking for you and what you predict in 2021. All of this information helps inform our future coverage and will be reported in aggregate form in our December 2020 issue. You can take that survey at this link, bit.ly slash SOTI 2020 WQP. And WWD is also doing a similar one. This is more for the municipal and industrial users for the water and wastewater industry. So if you fall into that bucket, you can go to bit.ly slash WWD2020SOTIPod, and you can take the survey there. But I also wanted to direct you to our industry icon video series, which you can find at bit.ly slash WWDWeeklyDigest. You can watch several interviews there of colleagues and friends of the 2020 WWD industry icon, David Drake. And with each of those videos, there's a link to the full article that is posted on our website where you can learn more about Drake himself. And at the end of this month, the last Tuesday of this month, we will be sharing an interview directly with him. So you can learn some more about him there. You can get all of those videos and many more videos at bit.ly slash WWD Weekly Digest. And similar to WQP and WWD, uh, Stormwater Solutions also has a state of the industry survey open for all of our stormwater and erosion control professionals. Um, anyone can go ahead and take that survey by visiting bit.ly slash SWS2020SOTI. 
And a final housekeeping item, um, SWS, WWD, WQP have teamed up with Global Waterworks to bring you a three-part webinar series on atmospheric water. Um, the series kicks off on September 22nd, so we hope you will join us. And registration can be found at bit.ly slash gwwwebinar1. With that, um, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And you can always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And while you're at it, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for Thanks listening. Thanks for listening. Well. Bye, everyone. Thank you.